0: hey everybody i'm Pram. welcome to the next chapter so we are taking the show on the road once again as you can probably see if you're watching on video and also here it's very loud here at fam fest but we are at the 2023 ncaa men's final four in houston texas oh my gosh the atmosphere here is amazing at the grb convention center couldn't think of a better place to hold this conversation and speaking of meaningful conversations this week we continue our lg transparent conversation series addressing student athlete mental health and well-being and it's all being powered by lg electronics usa so in our first episode last week we talked about the build-up the big dance and the road to the elite stage and in this second episode we're going to talk about the other side of it the come down, if you will, the downfall or the transition that athletes experience following the postseason as they return home from the elite stage. That is not to say that all athletes experience this crash, so to speak, or this downfall, but it certainly is a change. It's a transition. And so we explore this period that athletes ex- experience. And so joining me today in this LG Transparency Conversation episode is Dr. Brian Hainline. He is a chief medical officer for the ncaa and the first person to hold this very important position with the ncaa prior to this He was also the chief medical officer for the usta the united states tennis association It's an organization. We know very well at least he and I and we also have dr. Corey Yeager a researcher activist author therapist and also someone who's been working with the Detroit Pistons for a very long time as a life coach. Really hope that you get something out of this discussion. So without further ado, here we are, sitting at the GRB Convention Center, talking about student athletes and mental health. Oh my goodness, well, I think we are ready to go. We've got our headphones on, we got the mics on, the mics are hot, which means no cursing unless you really, 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 really have to, although we are a very casual atmosphere. Speaking of amazing atmosphere, I just see basketball.
1: Everywhere.
0: Basketball's everywhere, Uh, fans are roaming. I mean, there's gotta be hundreds, maybe even thousands here the atmosphere is absolutely electric so exciting so we want to welcome all of you into our LG transparent conversations a series addressing such an important topic student athlete mental health and well-being something that's very near and dear to my heart as all of you know and it's all being powered by LG Electronics USA so the basketballs obviously we're here for March Madness we are here for the 2023 NCAA Men's Final Four in Houston, Texas, and the energy at GRB Convention Center is pretty amazing. Although Dr. Hayline, I know you've been to what 11 uh, tournaments, so this is this is par for the course for you, is it not?
2: <laughs> no, everyone's incredible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I am Prince Ripapat, your host and moderator. I'm going to be doing a lot of talking today, but. I will step aside because we have two amazing panelists here today. But I have to say to both of you, as a former student athlete and Duke tennis player and also longtime sports broadcaster, but also now somebody who decided to be a masochist and returned to school, but to get my doctorate in counseling psychology with the hopes of helping the athlete population, this is such a dream come true to be using our platform for such a good cause and to be engaging in in this discussion so it's an honor to be here and thank you to you both for for joining us today so let's start off with dr brian hainline dr hainline is not only the chief medical officer for the ncaa but the first to hold this important position with with the ncaa and prior to this he was the chief medical officer for the usta the united states tennis association an organization we both know. Which one have you been to more, the NCAA tournament or the U.S. Open?
2: I think I've been to about 40 U.S. Open (laughs) events.
0: I'll see you there at this year's U.S. Open. Um, But in Dr. Line's role with the NCAA, he is focused on promoting and developing safety and excellence and wellness for college student athletes all across the country. Obviously, a very important position with a lot of responsibility, and of course, we have Dr. Corey Yeager, a researcher, activist, author. He's got a new book out. Gonna have to ask him to to at least talk about. It. You didn't bring. I told you you should have brought your new book.
1: I know a lot going on. You're but, probably but, yes, but yes. I'll surely talk about it.
0: Um, author, therapist, and also has been working with the Detroit Pistons as their life coach for many years. Um, and in addition to those within the NBA. Uh, some of his other clients also include the Oprah Winfrey Network, the Smithsonian Institute, the Gersh Agency, and Lola Redd. I mean, if Oprah Win- Winfrey is one of your clients, hey. you could just drop the mic right there. That, that is the queen. That, that she is the is queen. The queen. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is. So, this particular discussion marks the second of these two discussions that we are having here at the Final floor. The first one was about the crescendo. The, the big dance and the road to the elite stage. We had a wonderful conversation. Um, Two of our panelists were student athletes, including Trace Jackson Davis, All-American and team captain for Indiana. And we also had Jarris Walker, freshman for the Houston Cougars. And they had a lot of insightful things to say, as well as our other clinician, Lisa Bontasumi. This particular discussion, we're gonna talk about a lot of things, but the main focus is going to be on the come down, the decline, sometimes athletes experience this crash, not everybody, but this crash or decline that we experience from the elite stage. And the whole, we designed this discussion to highlight the ebbs and flow of the season and also the student athlete experience. So first question I wanna pose, I'm gonna stop talking now. When you think about this period after the big dance, what are your thoughts that come to mind when you're thinking about the student athlete experience? Dr. Hanline?
2: Well, it's it's very important to always put things in the context of transition, and so we can use words like decline, but I prefer to say, well, this is a transition to the next part of your journey. And when you're using language like that, you're focusing on the individual human being, sort of their soulful aspect of, of who they are. And yes, this competition is incredible, it's phenomenal, and everyone wants to win, but Someone's not going to win, and so how do you incorporate that into the next part of your journey in life? And that's the mindset we really want to get the athletes to focus on, that this isn't the ultimate. This is one part of many things that are going to be incredible in your life. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think um, to Doc's point, one of the things that I think about is all of these teams come. You have 64 teams that begin down to 32, Sweet 16, Elite 8 and then here finally at the final four. Um, so that means there's only going to be one team out of all those teams that go home with the last game being a victory. Um, so that's tough, that's tough. And and trying to prepare yourself as athletes for that end, uh, hoping that you're that one team, but knowing you'll be maybe more likely to be one of those 63 teams that doesn't end um, in victory. So one thing as a therapist that I think about is the grief and loss that is associated with the ending right that's a version a level of engaging grief and loss around the end of that season or the end of your career if you're a senior Um, so i think there's a ton of different things that these players are thinking about many of them positive but some of them not so positive so how are we supporting them through that process i think is really important
0: uh, both of you bring up bring up such excellent points, and Dr. Heinlein, I, I appreciate what you said about ju- the the transitions because you're right. I mean, it, it's the natural course of any athlete's career. You know, it's part of the season. Um, of course, we're seeing seasons now kind of going all year round, but within the context of college basketball and some of these other um, some of these other sports, you do have maybe a 10 month season, so to speak. But Dr. Yeager, you mentioned that grief and that loss and that I can connect with that because I remember as a student-athlete, the moment the season ends, it's just kind of like, okay, we don't have practice anymore, we have at least a little bit of a break for us tennis players, we always had the NCAA individual tournament afterwards, but it's just this weird feeling, it's like, okay, we don't have this, we don't have practice anymore, we don't have strength and conditioning, we don't have as many team meetings, and so regardless of whatever happened, whether or not you met expectations, there is that sense of loss, yeah. and I would imagine maybe that's why athletes do experience this so-called crash. Again, not every athlete experiences experiences it, but I certainly did, because it's like, wow, what, what, what now, and, yeah. and what happens? And
1: I think athletes are prone and seek structure Right From a young age, we have practices and we have season and in-season and off-season. So the structures that are set up for athletes are really important. So when the season comes to an end, that structure goes away. It may be just for a brief period of time, but it goes away. Um, So how are we supporting them to kind of think through what that may look or feel like when the season does come to an end? Um, and I use that idea and that concept of grief and loss in a lot of the work that I do with athletes um, With different individual games or when players get traded in the NBA Right that they have the loss of that city that they were in yeah, The true. players that they were bonded with their teammates and then all of a sudden a brand new set so I think there's a lot of, of connections to mental wellness in that journey
0: Yeah, and you you know, for some athletes, I think that some of them find it an opportunity maybe to take a break because the season can be so rigorous, especially if you're an athlete who's dealing with all sorts of physical ailments. This is the postseason. Everybody gets injured, or or a lot of athletes do, and you're pushing your body to the limit. So it might be an opportunity to take a nice little break. Um, But for other athletes, maybe they find, again, it's that dip and also going back to the academic demands too. I think oftentimes sports fans forget that they are a student first and they're an athlete second. But you know, when the postseason comes, I mean, my gosh, they're missing class. They're they're missing opportunities to work on their homework assignment and and all these other things. So it's certainly a balancing act. So as we're kind of hashing all of this stuff out, Dr. Heinlein, anything come to mind in terms of what Dr. Jaeger was saying in terms of we can provide structure or what are some strategies and interventions that athletes might be able to use as they make go through this transition?
2: Well, the most important thing is that we understand what the data tell us and then how we can be proactive. And the data tell us unequivocally that transition out of sport is probably the most vulnerable time in an athlete's life to develop a mental health disorder. And so understanding that, how do we arm the athletes in a community that we're preparing them for that transition? And one of the other things we understand, and it's interesting how you said, you know, we are students first, but we understand also that a lot of athletes identify as athletes first and that becomes their primary identity and being a student maybe is a secondary or tertiary identity. And those that identify as athletes primarily, they're at much more risk for transition out of sport. So what we really need to try to do is to empower athletes to understand who they are as human beings and that their identity is not being the athlete, their identity is a human being who is an athlete and that we, as a community, we prepare the athletes for when they are going to move out of sport. And so we can do that in a logical way for collegiate sport because everyone is going to be transitioning out of collegiate sport in one way or the other. Yeah. It's, it's more difficult when you have a sudden transition because of an injury or an illness, or you get cut from the team. And so the critical part is at the community level, which is at the school level, there's a system set up of wellness and focus on everyone being there for everyone else and so that community of wellness and support if that really is an integral part of who you are as an athlete at that institution at that community level that's probably the most protective thing we can do.
0: Yeah I agree with you I think the community and the surrounding landscape and the messages that we receive from society and and especially our intermediate circles is so important in terms of identity expansion rather than having such a salient athletic identity, which is certainly something that I identified with, which is why my transition from sport was so difficult. So let's take this conversation a step further. How do we as a community ensure that even within within this context of the NCAA tournament and spotlight, I mean, as an athlete, this is what you gear up for. This is everything that athletes have been dreaming of. Within the sports community, it's all about this. So then how do we, as a a supportive community, make sure athletes are much more equipped to know that they are something beyond just being an athlete? Mm,
1: Dr. Yeager? I think one of the important factors there is educating the community about what this could look and feel like, because oftentimes that community may have a lack of understanding what... Athletes may be going through what they may not be going through, especially think about coaching staffs um, And front office staffs in the NBA There's a generational difference, right? So the coach may be 60 years old and the GMs They may be older and these athletes are 19 20 years old So there's a difference in understanding mental wellness between those generations so finding the ability to educate all parties involved that are vested in that athlete's success, both on and off the court or on and off the field. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think educating that community is critically important. One strategy I think is most important when we talk about athletes is focusing on understanding internal dialogues. How we speak to ourselves is critically important. But too often, we don't even realize that we have these long, deep conversations with ourselves. We're not really aware of it. On some level, we know it's occurring, but we're not deeply, intentionally aware of how that operates. So educating all parties, athletes, community, teams, um, around what this internal dialogue looks and feels like, because whatever that dialogue is, is really the, the journey that you're probably traveling. So if you can shift that, if it's a negative dialogue that I am having with myself, if I can begin to first understand and become aware of it, I think that's the first step. And then I can impact that journey by moving those negative thoughts, feelings, conversations and dialogue that I have with myself into a more positive space. I think that is a strategy and I think it's a cornerstone strategy that athletes need to get a hold of Um, Because that can help move that journey in a more positive way, especially in those transitional times, Mm -hmm. right? As as I transition to the end of the season, as I transition from my sport into being just a quote-unquote regular person, right? How I have that discussion with myself will help me or hinder me. Um, So I think that's a critical understanding that we need.
0: Yeah, in, um, enhancing that positive inner voice, if yes. you will. Yeah, One of my favorite things to do is journal, and that's my way of kind of keeping track of my inner voice. It's something that I do every single morning. Yes. It, helps, it helps me engage in the reflective process and also enhances my self-awareness and something that I try to encourage. Um, with the clients that I'm working with, if that's something that they feel like they want to do. Dr. Heinlein? Yes. And the
1: research tells us, Mm -hmm. um, in the psychological realm, therapeutic realm, the more often that we can get these feelings and emotions out, right, it relieves pressure around those situations. So journaling, Mm -hmm. speaking to someone, what is that doing? That's allowing me to get rid of any of those negative feelings or thoughts that I may be having. Too, all too often I think the struggle is, is that athletes are almost prone more prone to hold it in. Right? Because they don't want to be vulnerable. Especially at the, I mean I think about not just the NCAA level but at the professional level. If I share my struggles with anyone that could be a mark on me. That could be a mark against me. So I won't do it. I'll hold it back and we know that that just boils and bubbles inside and I don't have an avenue in which to get it out but even if I don't want to share it with someone else journaling being able to write those thoughts and feelings down is a release it's a relief and I think that's one of the things that's really important for athletes
0: yeah let's you know we're talking about we were originally talking about you know just this decline and then it evolved into a conversation a subset of athletes who are transitioning out of sport, right? Because there's multiple multiple subsets or groups of athletes after they go to the postseason. Some of them are gonna be returning. Um, you know, uh one of our other student athletes that joined our panel, he's a freshman, Jarrus Walker. So he's gonna be back hopefully next year, you know, with with the Houston Cougars. Um but for somebody like Trace Jackson Davis with Indiana, he's most likely going to go and join the, you know, declare himself for the 2023 NBA draft. So that's going to be his transition. But he's hopefully going to be playing more basketball. But for most student athletes, including myself, the rest of the 98 percent, you know, of the seniors, that's going to be it for us. So what kinds of things? When we're talking about student athlete mental health and well-being. And for those, that group, that's going to be leaving sport. We've talked about identity. We've talked about other strategies involving that, improving our self-talk. Um, anything else that comes to mind, Dr. Heinlein?
2: Well, I wouldn't put it so much just on the student athlete. I think really this is an opportunity to engage and say the entire culture needs to change. And there are sort of four pillars to this culture. One is from a top-down approach. So let's say at a school, it starts actually with the president. The president says that mental health matters on this campus for students and student athletes. And in the athletics department, part of that top down is that the athletic director says this is what matters. And then the second pillar is the coaches. The data tell us that coaches are the single most important influence on an athlete's life. And if the coach has an attitude that your wellness matters and that if you have a mental health symptom or a mental health disorder, that should be equally treated as if you have an ankle sprain. So that messaging is very important. The third is that the student athletes actually support one another. And it's sort of like a bystander effect that if if they're really trained to understand that when someone's being more withdrawn or someone is acting differently, that it's okay to intervene and say, hey, what's up? And that there's that natural support system and the fourth pillar is that every athlete knows where to go, where they can receive culturally sensitive mental health care. Mm. And if you have that, and that's built in at every single level, at every school, and then you multiply that, that becomes a societal change. So that that's sort of one important thing. And then I'll, I'll, I'll go to the, the self-talk. I'm gonna use a tennis metaphor.
0: I love it. So, I'm down for tennis metaphors anytime. <laughs>
2: so i actually did a weekend crash course on mental toughness in tennis and it was all about the inner dialogue that we have Mm -hmm. and so you can you know you miss a shot you miss a point you say oh man i'm i'm so terrible or i can't believe what a jerk i am and this and that and the whole thing was to turn it around so okay so you're down six two three one forty love and before the point you say isn't it incredible that I have an opportunity to do something <laughs> different right now? And if yeah. that becomes yeah. your self-talk, that's, right. that's a metaphor yeah. for all sorts of things that happen in your life and say, this is really bad that such and such happened. There's a grief, there's a loss. That's right. But the grief and loss become an opportunity for how as human beings, we dig into that creative part of our soul and we have a different outlook and our journey changes. And the journey is defined by something more creative and magical and not by the numbers, not by the win or loss, but by who you are Is it's my favorite expression as a soulful human being.
0: It is all about the process, right? Rather than just the end game or the results or what manifests from it. It's always about the journey and the process. I was laughing when you were talking about Uh, when you use the tennis analogy, and and the book that comes to mind is The Inner Game of Tennis. I'm sure you have, I mean, everybody knows that. (laughs) In and around tennis, it's such a fantastic book. But I'm also laughing because tennis players, Dr. Yeager, I don't know if you know this, but tennis players are infamous for being out on the court and just having weird dialogues with themselves. I mean, you would see me out on the court and being like, literally having a full-blown conversation with yourself. And my husband, (laughs) as I was going through my media career, and my husband was like, is it normal for, why do tennis players just like, just talk, just full stream talk to themselves? themselves. I'm like, yeah, because A, you're by yourself the entire time for about two to four hours, and you have to learn how to be your own coach. So (laughs) you, if you're alone, you manufacture company so that's why we talk to ourselves and i still do it till this day when i'm like washing dishes especially now with kids and i'm like okay well it's time to do this and where are we going to go i don't know i forgot the salt we got to go this i was like anyways we digress i digress (laughs) but when you're talking about the inner dialogue that made me made me laugh and i brought back some hilarious moments of myself (laughs) What you were talking about in terms of the four pillars, there's so much to tackle um, with that, but but you are right, it's about the top-down approach. It's making sure that psychoeducation, Dr. Yeager, before we hopped on the set, you were talking about the importance of psychoeducation, integrating all of this stuff and making sure the community and support system is armed with the information so they can pass this forward to the athletes, right? It's not just about the athletes. The both of you, have so much experience in our in current positions where you are working hand in hand with people who are in charge and we still yet live in a society where there's so much work to be done in terms of tackling destigmatizing the mental health landscape. So when you're trying to work rather than against the system and work with the system How do you do that? What kind of advice do you offer for somebody like me who's now entering the clinical space to learn how to be an activist to instill change and make sure our community has some of those elements that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I, I think a word that comes to mind is reframe. That we have to reframe how we are experiencing the support of mental wellness, especially in in the sports realm we have to reframe how we are beginning the process of normalization right because uh, mental wellness has yet to be normalized in our society physical health is normalized but mental wellness and mental health is not Uh, so i think that conversations like this opportunities within the ncaa with teams and um, universities to get a good grasp and hold on reframing and normalizing these conversations. I think that's how you move the the needle is through conversation, through discussion. We don't have to seek agreement with one another from the beginning. Mm. What we should seek is understanding. Do we understand what your thoughts around mental wellness are compared to mine? That generational difference that, that I spoke about earlier, there's going to be language difference between how those generations see and engage mental wellness. So how do we start to normalize that conversation where we're all on the same page? That doesn't mean we agree, but we're all on the same page in terms of normalizing this. And the last thing that I would say is, anytime something like mental wellness can feel uncomfortable, there's discomfort associated with those discussions. But I, this, a reframe that I utilize is saying, that anytime I feel discomfort, any, anytime I'm feeling some version or level of pain, instead of it being pain or discomfort for the sake of discomfort, because if it's that, we'll lean away from it. But if we can see that discomfort, that uncomfortable conversation as an indication that we're growing, mm. then I may lean into that. I may stick with that conversation a bit longer. And I think that's what is called for from the onset. We're still at the beginning of this normalization process we're not deep into this so if we can say hey it's gonna be uncomfortable that we talk about and figure out ways in which to engage but that should be an indication that we're growing we're getting better um, and if we can stay with that and maintain those uh, that level of conversation we can move the needle dr. Nehren well
2: I agree a hundred percent with uh, everything dr. Yeager said and and I would add uh, something in addition to that And I would use data to help coaches understand the importance of mental health. So what are some of the data that we have that's unequivocal? That if you have a mental health disorder, it actually will predict a musculoskeletal injury. If you suffer a musculoskeletal injury and develop depression and anxiety, that will predict that you're gonna take longer to heal. If you have a perfectly reconstructed ACL, from uh, an ACL surgery, and you develop an anxiety disorder post-operatively, regardless of the fact that it was perfectly reconstructed, that will predict a failure of that surgery. If you have a sleep disorder, that will predict the development of a musculoskeletal injury more than overtraining will. Mm -hmm. And so, and then finally, if you have a mental health disorder, that will predict poor performance more than if you don't. So if coaches are armed with these kind of data and understand that mental health actually has a huge impact on physical health, on performance, then every coach in the world is gonna to wanna to say, well, I have to make certain that part of the normalization of what we're doing is that we're addressing mental health in the same way that we're addressing ankle sprains and, and ligament sprains and this and that. And so you know the the whole culture shifts that that becomes critically important to your performance and to your overall well-being and to really the you know the minimization of injuries and doc
1: I think that's an important thing because what coaches are interested in are things that will help move their team in a positive way so if they can grasp and understanding of that connection, right? What is the connection to supporting our players in terms of mental wellness? How does that equate to positive outcomes, wins, if you will, for my team? Because once they can connect those dots, they're much more prone to engage with that. They're much more prone to call for mental wellness support for their team. But that lack of understanding, if there's a gap in that understanding, they may have a tendency to lean away from, right? Sometimes they'll check the box and say, well, I have to hire someone, but I won't utilize that resource. So there's many spaces that will hire folks to come in and do mental wellness support, psychological support, but they may not necessarily utilize that that space in a positive way because they don't understand it. And that's why I talk about the importance of Mm psycho-ed, right? Oftentimes, we have these high-level athletes. They're sharp. They're very smart. These coaches are very smart. So if we can educate them, they will move the needle on their own as opposed to being forced into. Because if you force people into support, oftentimes it's not going to work. There's no buy-in. Right. There's not going to be buy-in. But if they can understand it, I think it changes the trajectory.
0: There's got to be buy-in, and yes. I understand from the coach's perspective. If you're like, I don't really understand. Like, you know, my job is to help these athletes perform, and also my goal is to win. But if I don't can't connect the dots and see how this relates to what I've been hired to do and understand this bigger picture, there's not going to be that buy-in. It's almost like when you're working with an athlete, we're talking about the psychological impact of. Uh, of injury on athletes, in order for them to really buy into the rehab process, they have to understand the importance of it and right. how that's going to, including rest. But if they don't understand why they have to do something, they're not—they're not, they're not going to understand the significance of it. That's right. So, kind of bringing it back to not just what we're—the discussion that we're having right now, but also the other panel um, that we had prior to this. And I kind of said, you know people listening here or at home might be like, well, why are you talking about well-being and mental health at the NCAA tournament? Because that's just, we're talking about performance, right? Or why would we, in this particular discussion, why would we care about the road away from the big dance? Because, you know, that's not necessarily relevant to the student athlete experience. But what you just mentioned, the physical, the mental the psychological the emotional the spiritual component all those things are really they intersect and they intertwine because as much as we would like to we can't separate the person from the athlete and the athlete from the the person no we can't compartmentalize i tried to i thought i was and then many years later i realized i didn't i couldn't do that i who i am on the court is who i am as a person and so maybe that might Spreading that information around might create more buy-in from what you all were talking about with the community and the coaches and them understanding, oh, I see. So if we invest in the person, now we're investing in the athlete.
1: It's it's that holistic approach, Uh right? That holistic understanding the whole athlete is critically important. I've worked with a number of coaches, um, one that's in the NBA that that does a lot of work, and he came up with the idea and the concept of holistic coaching that I shouldn't just see the athlete and train only those techniques and skills on the court, but I must see the whole entire athlete. Who are they as a family member? Who are they as a husband or wife? Um, Who are they as a brother, right? All of these connections that play a factor into who that person is. And if one of those pieces is off, if they're struggling with one of those elements, it's going to show up in their play. It's going to show up in their day to day. So that holistic approach to what you spoke about, Prem, is the critical cornerstone of how we move that forward.
0: I love that holistic coaching. I've never heard of that. Yeah. The, the, Dr. His, his name
1: is J.D. Dubois. He's a heck of a coach. Ah. And, and he's, he's got this holistic coaching approach that's really, really cool.
2: And I I, I think, you know, this conversation needs to go to the entire public. It's a societal conversation. And so, like Dr. Yeager, I've had the privilege of treating thousands and thousands of, of elite athletes at the collegiate level, the professional level, the Olympic level. And when you're in that privileged space, you understand that you're dealing with a human being who has the same concerns as every other human being out there and when they get hurt, they feel it. When they have a breakup, they feel it. When they're in financial distress, they feel it. Yeah, what we tend to do as a society is we treat these athletes, we objectify them in the worst way of using the word objectify. And so we put them in this special place and then when they do well, we praise them. When they do poorly, we crucify them and that's carried through even more so on social media in a way that has become really quite frankly very dangerous and so we need to understand that these are human beings that it's our collective job to be there with them and not to just sort of judge them from how they do on the court or off the court and it's gotten to a place where in social media if a player does poorly a player loses a singles match or a player messes up on a team component that they'll get all of a sudden 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 negative posts that are really quite demeaning. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we're really, that's that's harmful behavior. And so we need to, first of all, protect our athletes and let them know that that's not who they are. And, and we really need to have much better social media strategies. But going out there as a society, we just need to look at sport differently and, and, and understand. I, I know I've said it five times, but these are human beings just like you and I are human beings, and everyone around here in this great stadium is a human being, and it's sort of our duty to really protect one another.
0: As one of my interviewees, uh, Josh Childress, and honestly every other athlete in this world, um, we're not superheroes. We can, we can be superheroes sometimes and act like superheroes, but ultimately we're all human beings. And actually in our first panel, when I mentioned, I was like, ultimately if we were to distill it down what this initiative by LG Electronics USA and Transparent Conversations is all about, it's sending the message that athletes are human beings first. And there's that humanistic perspective and approach to to sports. And so you brought up the topic of social media because that's something that was really, really salient and really came out a lot um, in our first panel, especially you know Trace and Jerris were talking about the messages, the frequency of messages, the derogatory and really negative messages that they constantly get on social media. You can tell it really impacts them, and they and they weren't sharing explicit details. And you know they kind of mentioned it's like I, I let that roll off my back. I don't let it bother me. And I also kind of mentioned I was like it's okay if it bothers you because I have I have media peers of the most famous people in the world and it bothers them. How can it not? So I don't know what the answer is, but I just wanted to highlight that. I I also think that maybe from, this is coming from me personally, maybe it is a call to social media, the people who are running social media to maybe put some safeguards in place because I think it becomes very, very dangerous. It's impacting not just athletes, but our younger generation in ways that we've never seen before.
1: When you think about athletes, though, Prem, as you as you talk about social media, the vast majority of athletes, if you engage with them and ask them if social media impacts them, most of them are going to say, no, I, I mean, I look at it, but I don't, I don't pay attention to it. Many of them have been trained to say, I don't even look at it. But we know the truth of the matter is they do look at that, and it does impact them, and it oftentimes impacts them negatively. So, finding ways in which to discuss the importance of separating who you are as a person from what that all that information that's flowing towards you in social media that is so negative, how to separate those worlds, and that's not necessarily easy because we're inundated with it. It's everywhere we turn, everywhere we look. We're we're being inundated, and athletes are exponentially impacted by social media. They have millions of followers, right? Those comments that you can dive into those comments and go down the rabbit hole of negativity. Um, So finding ways, and I think there is something to be said with the social media outlets and organizations, what their role is um, in diminishing that negativity, and then also how we can train our athletes to be avoidant of or kind of shirk the understanding. It's not easy though. That's not an easy task.
2: So I wanna agree with that. And I'm gonna go to another point you brought up about, you know, what can we do sort of organizationally? So um, another tennis story, but at uh, the 2022 US Open, there was a, uh, a world summit on mental health in tennis is actually the first sports-specific World Summit on mental health. And we took a deep dive into social media because we saw the potential dark side of social media, especially vis-a-vis gambling and, and gaming.
0: Especially in tennis. And,
2: and, so, and there was one concrete example. One player at the US Open had a huge upset. And she got 20,000 likes and knew you're the greatest person in the world. And the next round, uh, she lost. And we actually had access to the social media because it was some of the most vile, misogynist, really horrific, non-accidental violence you could even, not even imagine reading. And this can have a real impact, and so what it led to was one of the foundational principles is that for all of the sports to come together, not for one sport to try to solve this, to look at the real impact of social media, its possible relationship to gambling And then to work outside of the sport world and to start working with government agencies and and the very large technology agencies and say, look, this is an issue. This is a societal issue. It's affecting human beings. What can we do about it? And so I'm I'm hopeful that, uh, that it's actually going to go to this next level because it's critically important. We have to get ahead of this rather than sort of reacting to it.
0: And I would say I agree with you. And I think over the last eight years or so, we have been reacting to it because it is impossible to keep up with the speed of technology. We're seeing it in the workforce, where uh, you know companies are doing their best to keep up with all the changes. But I think you're right. In order to, I think it's time that we can that we try to be proactive and try to get ahead. The fact that I don't know if either one of you have seen the documentary on Netflix, the the social dilemma. And it's talking about, um, but basically it's highlighting, it's, it interviews a lot of previous uh, social media executives. So the CMOs, even the founders of Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and all this other stuff. And many of them talk about the process in which how it was created, but they didn't realize the type of negative impact it was gonna have. And so many of them kind of joke around. It's like, I don't let my kids on social media, like the company I used to work on. but. Uh, but this is less of a conversation about social media, but obviously all the different factors in today's landscape that are shaping the student-athlete experience. And so as we kind of wrap this conversation up, one I want to get your, your final thoughts on what kind of advice or suggestions would you have either to athletes or universities or teams as many of these players are walking away from the big dance, whether they are coming back next season as a sophomore, juniors, or whatever, whether they're transitioning to the professional level, or whether they are walking away from sport, what kind of advice would you have to athletes and universities as you help these athletes, as you said, Dr. Hamlin, go through this transition in their career?
2: Well, I might use a dancing metaphor now. <laughs> I
0: love your metaphors. Metaphor I'm all for metaphors. for
1: metaphors.
2: So, don't look at this as the big dance that it's the only dance. This is a big dance, but there are gonna be a lot of dances. And actually, there's gonna be so many opportunities to dance many different steps, and so you, you again, come back to your human journey, and the human journey doesn't end at the NCAA championships. That's one important aspect of it, but look at all the opportunities you're gonna have to dance for the rest of your life. (laughs)
0: I love it, and so maybe my next dance is the salsa, the biggest dance of my life. I love it.
1: One one thing that I think about, a couple things, is reminding those players that this is just one aspect of who they are. There's many, many other aspects of who they are as a human being, but oftentimes they're not reminded. They're reminded consistently and constantly of the athletic aspect of who they are as human beings but no one else is talking to them about those other pieces. So as they transition away from basketball or tennis or whatever sport, or even just transitioning away from the end of a season, realizing that there are so many other pieces to who they are. And then I think a thing, a point that I talk about in the book is, do you understand your genius? We all have genius, all of us do. But oftentimes, we don't recognize or nurture those aspects of our genius because everyone else has told us that you're going to be a superstar basketball player, Mm. right, that you're going to be a superstar tennis player. And we don't nurture those other aspects of who we are. So reminding people to think about, so what else am I? What else do I love? Um, How do I build that out? Because you can build out those other pieces of you all along, all the way, as you develop that sporting side. So developing all pieces of that person is critically important and how do we intentionally remind our athletes that they are more than that ball, that sport, um, I think is one way that we should, one thing that we should focus on.
0: Imagine the idea that sports is not necessarily your life purpose, but is actually setting you up for the thing, your greatest creation, your greatest thing. And that's something that I've kind of put together as I've gone on through multiple, my athletic career and multiple careers um, as I embarked on this next transition as I get into the field of counseling psychology.
1: Prim, that's what I did with my career. Really? I was, I was a former football player, Division I football player yeah. at Long Beach State, and I used all those sporting pieces to dive into being a therapist in the sporting realm. So that football set me up yes. for what I'm doing now right? I didn't know it at the time and no one else was discussing it. But if we can be intentional around what you just said, I think it'd be really helpful.
0: Well, expanding on that, I thought my athletic career was done, but it, I realize now that my athletic career actually set me up for my 20 year broadcast yes. career, which then is now setting me up for my counseling psychology yes. career. And I didn't see it until just recently. Yeah. And so all those things, they make feel very fragmented and segmented and unrelated, but they actually are. And so it's all about connecting the dots. I could sit here and talk to the both of you for hours, but I know you have many other things to do. Um, It's including a game to watch tonight. So Dr. Yeager and Dr. Hanline, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming on here and just showing up and engaging in a very important conversation I know that's something I'm supposed to say at the end of a show, but genuinely, I hope you can feel my sincerity and my passion for this topic and also everybody else here. And thank you just for normalizing this conversation. And and I hope we help somebody today.
1: Thank you so much. It was was indeed my pleasure, Prem and Dr. Inline. I appreciate sharing the stage with you.
0: you. Thank
2: you. I echo that. It's been a real pleasure and a privilege.
0: All right. Well, have a wonderful rest of the time. Go shoot some hoops and enjoy the game tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Really hope you enjoyed today's discussion in the special NCAA Final Four episode of the LG Transparent Conversations series. And it's all being powered by LG Electronics USA Can't. Thank them enough for just including me in these important discussions. It is honestly a dream come true to use my broadcasting platform for such a good cause. And hopefully we are helping normalize this conversation regarding student-athlete mental health and well-being. If you want to catch more episodes of the next chapter, you know where to go. Check it out on, on all the different platforms, including YouTube, where you can watch this entire episode. I'm Prim Primsaripipat, and we'll see you guys next week.